the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our salvation. Amen. In Isaiah today, we have a picture uh, of destruction, but that ends in a feast, a feast that is uh, for all people, it says, a feast in which all will be filled and fulfilled. And this is the last section of our lesson from the prophet Isaiah today is, a, is actually a, a, a selection for um, a funeral, a lesson, a, a set of um, scripture that we offer as a good uh, choice for the, a funeral that is a service of resurrection. And in fact, I plan on picking this piece whenever I go home to meet God because I love the vision of the kingdom of heaven as a feast for all peoples, a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wines, of rich food filled with marrow, and um, all of us being filled body and soul and spirit and presence of God in whatever, um, whatever we know, whatever the reality of heaven truly is, I believe with all my heart that there is some portion of this vision that is part of it, that we will be filled, that we will be satisfied, that we will be um, connected in a big party in heaven. <laughs> that scripture, that description from Isaiah contrasts so greatly with the parable that Jesus tells in Matthew today. The, the parable Jesus tells is a parable where the guests do not come to feast, and uh, then the king uh, in uh, ire and rage goes and um, uh, engages in violence. And then he goes and collects whoever will come and invites them in. And then he chastises the one who comes in at his invitation with um, the wrong clothes. That is given a new perspective when you realize that uh, any host at that time that was throwing a feast or a party would um, actually provide wedding garments for those who did not have them. So the parable is confusing. The king asks, how did you get in here? And that poor man does not respond. And then he is thrown out and treated viciously. Not only does that contrast the beautiful vision of a feast for all from the book of the prophet Isaiah, but it is also not the vision of the king that is like a shepherd in that beautiful Psalm 23, in which many people have found comfort. The Lord is my shepherd. 
I shall not be in want. Unless I wear the wrong garment, unless I accept the invitation, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense, these contradictions. They don't make sense. And yet that is why um, I love the brilliance of the Episcopal Church in which um, we have said for many years we stand on a three-legged stool of authority, <laughs> scripture, reason, and tradition. And of course, the last couple of decades, we've also said experienced, but I guess we have to say four-legged stool now. But um, scripture is authoritative and to be read in the context in which it was understood, the tradition, and to be read in the context in which we live now, reason. And so for many, many centuries, that parable has been read as an allegory in which the people that didn't accept the invitation were, you know, the king's subjects, the king being God, who were just rude. And then the man who came in was just careless. And so we have a parable which is understood as, you know, an allegory in which we need to do better. We need to listen to God's call. We need to show up prepared, all of that. In recent decades, we've dug deeper using our um, identity as Episcopalians and Anglicans to read the scripture uh, in context. Context in which it was written and the context in which we live today. And so first of all, when Jesus says, the kingdom of God may be compared to, there's many ways to translate the original uh, language, and compared is a good one. But when you compare something, you don't just see what it's like, you can also contract. And so when you read this parable and say, that doesn't look like the good shepherd that I know, that doesn't look like the God of mercy and love who wants life and life in abundance for all of us, you can see that maybe Jesus painted a picture that contrasts with what the kingdom of God really entails. There's other interpretations in which the people who refuse the invitation to come to this sumptuous feast are not God's subjects, but are actually resisting the invitation of the powers and principalities of its time in which all are not included, all are not fed, and so those who resist and don't accept the invitation 
are not poor slackers who ignore God, but are those who are, in fact, looking to make a new and better world for all. This is an offering. This isn't a definitive interpretation. This is a way to dig deeply into the parables and look at the many possibilities that are suggested. Another way to look at the silence of the poor man who was dressed wrong, who was invited but did not look good, who accepted the invitation but was cast out, is to remember how Jesus stood silent when asked, who do you think you are? Who do you say you are? By the powers and principalities of his time, and he kept silent. This poor man in the parable kept silent as well. And that silence speaks a world, a world of resistance, a world of, let's see what you are going to do with me. This interpretation does not see the king as God. It sees the king as one who is misguided in the use of his power. And the kingdom of God will not be like that. This past week, I was at the 200th celebration of uh, Bicentennial of the Virginia Theological Seminary in Alexandria, Virginia. I am on the board, but I am not a graduate of that seminary. My father is, and my grandfather was. Um, but I, I get to do the dirty work on the board of trustees. <laughs> It was a wonderful celebration, and one part of the celebration was uh, a, a whole day, a symposium on the African America uh, African American Episcopal Historic Archives, and they had a panel of folks working on um, uh, racial reconciliation projects and speaking um, truth into old narratives which I suggest to you is what some of the new interpretations of the parables are doing, speaking new truths into old interpretations. And one of the stories that was told was of a deacon who'd been serving for a few years at a Memorial Church in Baltimore, Memorial Episcopal Church in Baltimore. And her name is the Reverend Natalie Conway. She went past a historic site to get to her church for years. And as the co-chair of the Racial Reconciliation Initiative for the Diocese of uh, Maryland, she started doing research into her own family history. And she realized that her great-great-grandmother, Harriet Cromwell, had been enslaved at this 
plant, former plantation that was now a, a historical site by which she passed to get to her church every time she went to the church. And then she realized that the big plaques in her church, Memorial Church, where she served as a deacon, were in honor of the people who gave the founding donation for Memorial Episcopal Church, who were also the people who had enslaved her great-great-grandma. And so, she asked that those plaques be taken down, not to ignore history, but not to honor folks who had abused her family. Those plaques were not destroyed. Those plaques were put in another place outside where they can be viewed and where the history is written in detail. And now, the interpretation of the history of that church and the parish has a whole new meaning. A whole new meaning. She still serves at that parish with love and grace and courage and she honored and reclaimed the narrative of her family in that church. And she gave the story a new ending. Just like last week's parable, when Jesus asked the people to whom he was speaking now when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? And they replied, they're, they're, he's going to make them pay, basically. He's going to make them pay. And Jesus said, no. In so many words, he said, God is going to change the ending of violence and revenge for one of truth and one of love. I wish there had been a question like that in this parable, but I think maybe it got lost in translation. And we can ask, how will this story end? with the idea of God as a merciless, violent king, or with the idea of God as the one who shows up and, and comments by his manner and his silence and his presence on how the world is far from the kingdom of God today. On Friday, we were then um, invited to a conversation with the Archbishop of Jerusalem, the Episcopal Diocese of Jerusalem, 
which covers five, five countries. And the Archbishop uh, Hassam is a graduate of BTS. He was supposed to preach and teach, but of course had to stay with his people who are in a time of unprecedented, in modern times, of unprecedented level of violence. There's been a lot of violence, uh, but the escalation, as you know, if you've kept up with the news, is um, incredibly sad. And as he was zooming in to talk to us about this, he said that all those around moan in agony together for the peace of Israel and Gaza, the peace of Jerusalem for which we so long and for which they have worked and which remains elusive. But he said, you know, God is not absent. God is present in those of us who stay, in those of us who pray, in those of us to shine a light, the light of Christ enkindled at us, in us and our baptism. We stay to be a light to what is possible beyond what is. And we moan together in agony as we shine the light of cross, the, the light of Christ in violence and war. So he has asked for us to pray and fast, and if you can't fast from dawn to dusk, to uh, remain abstinent in something that you like, or just, just pray if you're not able to fast. We'll be live streaming a litany, but I was reminded of his words this morning as we had a baptism at the eight o'clock service. And as I asked the adult being baptized, do you renounce the evil powers of this world which corrupt and destroy the creatures of God? And he said, I renounce them. I was moved to remember the witness of the Episcopal Church in Jerusalem. I was moved to remember the witness of the Episcopal Church in Baltimore. I was moved to remember the witness of the Episcopal Church in Houston and to hand Mr. Goodell, as he was being baptized, a candle and say to him, receive the light of Christ that is enkindled within you. It is all our mission, folks, to call people to the community of the Christian faith and baptism, to call people to rewrite the whole truth for history, and 
to call people to work for peace when it seems impossible. Amen. Amen.